Post Reports is sponsored by Hunters on Amazon Prime Video. Inspired by true events, Hunters stars Al Pacino as the leader of a ragtag pack of Nazi hunters. Watch February 21st on Amazon Prime Video. From the newsroom of The Washington Post. Hello, hey you. Here's Louisa Beck from The Washington Post. Hi, this is Beth Reinhardt at The Washington Post. It's Lori Aritani over at The Post. I'm good. This is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Tuesday, February 18th. Today, the allegations of sexism that have dogged Michael Bloomberg for years. And card games that tap into a sense of earnestness. Michael Bloomberg is a person worth about $60 billion. B as in Bloomberg, B as in billion. He's run this company, eponymously named Bloomberg, just like Trump has his own company named after himself. And he is seeking the Democratic presidential nomination. If you share my belief in opportunity for all and not just for a few. He just qualified to be on the debate stage in Nevada on Wednesday night. Um, And he's also spending hundreds of millions of dollars on ads that are now hitting the airwaves. I, like all of you, am a woman for Mike. This record speaks clearly to what he has done. He's skipping the first four caucuses and primaries, but he's doing pretty well in the polls. And people are now newly interested in who is Michael Bloomberg, what has he done with his life, what's been said about him. We need a president who will protect the health and rights of all women and not try to undermine them. And I promise to do exactly that. So the Post has set about, uh, as we do with all candidates, vetting, exploring, looking back at things that may have been reported before. Maybe there's more to say. And that led me on to this story. And if you are ready to clean out the Oval Office and get things done, then welcome to Bloomberg 2020. My name is Michael Kranish. I'm a political investigative reporter here at The Washington Post. Over the years, there have been questions about the kind of comments that he's made, comments that were said to have been profane, sexist. In 1990, on his 48th birthday, his staff threw him a party, and one of his senior staffers compiled a book that uh, was called The Wit and Wisdom of Michael Bloomberg. And in that book, she compiled many things that he allegedly said. She wrote an introduction that these are, quote, actual quotes. And a lot of them are profane and sexist, talking about women, talking about sexual acts, talking about the kind of sex he wants, and so forth. Would you mind giving some specific examples of some of the jokes that were mentioned in this book? Well, I have to use careful language. So this is there. This is um, there's some language that has a lot of F words, if you will. But a couple of examples we use in the story were when he talks about A good salesperson is someone who – a man who goes to a bar trying to pick up a woman and says, do you want to F? He gets turned down a lot, but he gets F'd a lot too, quote unquote, Bloomberg is quoted as saying. He also allegedly said that his financial information computer, quote, will do everything including give you – and I'll use not the phrase in the book, but oral sex he's talking about – I guess that puts a lot of you girls out of business, quote unquote. These are things that Mike Bloomberg was alleged to have said in a booklet compiled by – his staff and put together by a senior member of his staff who said later that she sat next to Bloomberg for seven years. Even though it was, quote unquote, a joke, like these are allegedly real quotes from him. Well, we told the Bloomberg folks that uh, we were going to publish the booklet called The Wit and Wisdom of Michael Bloomberg. This has been something that's been talked about for years. There have been quotes from it out there. 
But the booklet hasn't been out there. Um, I obtained it from a source. And um, when we did that, they came back with a response. Now, over the years, uh, they had said things like uh, he didn't recall some of these statements or there were attempts at bad humor or whatever. But told that we were going to publish the booklet, they issued the following statement, quote, Mike simply did not say the thing somebody wrote in this gag gift, which has been circulating for 30 years and has been quoted in every previous election Mike has been in. Now, I need to add, at the same time, this spokesperson for Bloomberg, Stu Losser, said, quote, Mike openly admits that his words have not always aligned with his values and the way he has led his life, and some of what he has said is disrespectful and wrong. I asked him, what are some of those things that Bloomberg has said that are disrespectful and wrong? And he did not provide specifics. But some of the anecdotes that people are alleging about Michael Bloomberg are not just things that come in the category of disrespectful. I mean, some of them are examples of workplace discrimination. Right. There's a number of lawsuits that have been filed against Bloomberg and or his company. The most high-profile example is a lawsuit that was filed regarding an incident that took place in 1995, and a lawsuit was filed by a woman who was a top salesperson at the company in New York City, and her name was Sakiko Sakai Garrison. Her case has received a lot of notice over the years, particularly when Bloomberg first ran for mayor in 2001. And in her case, she says that Bloomberg heard that she was pregnant, and she said that Bloomberg said to her, kill it, quote-unquote, in a reference she took to mean to her unborn child. And she says in her lawsuit that she asked Bloomberg, what did you say? And that he said, kill it, great. And then he referred to 16, which Garrison took to mean in reference to the number of pregnant women or women with uh, newborn children and so forth. And was her understanding from that incident that he was telling her to have an abortion? That's what she alleged in her lawsuit, yes. And then what happened after that? Well, there was a lot of back and forth. There was a lot of court actions. The Bloomberg company, Bloomberg himself, they hired a law firm. They have obviously pretty unlimited resources. But what happened was, as I reported in the story, very shortly after that, Bloomberg agreed to a settlement that to this day has remained confidential. I've been told by several people with first-hand information, basically, that the settlement was in the six figures. I don't know the exact amount, but it was not insignificant. So that case was settled. And as Garrison understands it, as I understand, I've not talked to her. She wouldn't talk to me, and maybe because she's under this confidentiality agreement, but that, um, you know, basically she doesn't feel that she can talk about it as far as I know. But did you try to talk to anyone who may have overheard this? So for years, this allegation by Sikiko Sakai Garrison has been central to questions about what Bloomberg has said and done. In my reporting, I did talk to two people, one of who had never been called before about this. Hello? David? Yes, who's calling? David, it's Michael Kranich of The Washington Post, and his name is David Zelenziger. Zelenziger. It's not hard. And this is a gentleman who worked as a technology writer uh, at the Bloomberg Company. And I started to work there. In February of 1992, I was basically the first technology correspondent. And he said that he was there when this conversation took place. Now, you wanted to know about the Sakiko Sakai Garrison thing. And my recollection is that was when we were still in the old building at 499 Park Avenue. At the 15th floor, there was a rather elaborate coffee bar. And I recall once going up there to get some coffee in the afternoon. And Sakiko Sakai was there. There were some other people from sales. I believe she was uh, sales and delegated to call upon Japanese 
banks and trading firms because that was an important part of Bloomberg's business. He told me that he recalls Bloomberg coming out having heard Garrison say that she was pregnant. She had mentioned to some of her girlfriends there and others that she was pregnant, and Mike had just got, gone there too to get some coffee. And kind of when she mentioned that, some of the, the, the girlfriends were kind of congratulating her, and Mike said, are you going to kill it? Are you going to kill it? And that kind of... Um, Shut everybody up. So a slightly different variation. It was in the form of a question. However, Zelenziger thought this was just as offensive as Garrison thought simply saying kill it was. Well, I found it. I, I found it. I mean, Jesus. I mean, who would say such a thing? But he has a very specific recollection. I've interviewed him twice about this. Um, and that's his recollection. But it's, 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 it, it was just out of place. He told me he thought this was an outrageous statement, not the kind of thing you should say. He said, It struck me as being crude and boorish and selfish. And in Zelenziger's view, he felt that Bloomberg was concerned that yet another woman was going to take leave, and this person was a very important salesperson at the company. So he didn't think this was right, but he's never talked about it until this day. No one has ever asked me about I have mentioned to people over the years that I heard that, but no one from... I know that there was litigation, there was um, an investigation by the EEOC, there was even a trial that was going to be held in the federal court in New York. I have never spoken about this before to, you know, to lawyers or the press or anyone, but I, was, I heard that, and I, I was kind of shocked. There's a second person in the story who I talked to in an interview that was arranged by the Bloomberg press office, and that individual says he talked to – he didn't hear the comments at all, so he's no information firsthand. But he says he talked to Garrison after they occurred, and he believed that she was confused about what Bloomberg said. So uh, that person is now the head of Bloomberg Company Global Human Resources, and I quote him in the story. So then what happened after that conversation? What did Garrison do? Garrison did not have the abortion. And she said in her lawsuit that she was, a few months later, terminated at what she called the direction of Michael Bloomberg. That's part of the allegation of her lawsuit. Um, But we're talking to Bonnie Josephs at her law office. I'm just going to ask her a few questions. Uh, The first lawyer who represented Sakiko Sakai Garrison, I met with her in New York City, and she provided me with a lot of documents that were not in the court file. So you spent yeah. time with Sakiko, obviously. During uh, the case. A lot of time. Yes. Many, many hours. Right. Um, what's your overall assessment? What do you think the public should know about what she had to say and her credibility? She's completely credible. I believed what she said. I believed what she said, and I, it was tested under normal circumstances that I do with all clients. And I would not have proceeded with it if I didn't believe it myself. Mm-hmm. And I and I that's why I and I chose the forum, which was the State Division of Human Rights, to start the case. And she uniquely is not under the non-disclosure agreement. She has all of those files in her office where I visited her, and she thought this should be out there. They should know about the case that I was involved in. That, with respect to an important employee of his, who told her with pleasure that she was about to have a child, he said, "Kill it." And that's the, that was the fulcrum of this case. And I think that's an anti-female statement in the employment context. She had a good cause of action. 
Was this an isolated incident for Garrison, or did she describe other things that happened that made her uncomfortable? Garrison did describe a lot of incidents that made her feel uncomfortable and also that she felt were inappropriate, and she detailed a number of these uh, in her lawsuit. She gave an example where she said Bloomberg was not happy with the outcome of a business meeting. He said to a newly hired female company salesperson, uh, clients told you, quote, to lay down and strip naked so they could F you. Would you do that too, quote unquote? Garrison said that uh, Bloomberg made similar comments for all six years of her employment. And have there been other lawsuits against Bloomberg for similar practices? There have been other lawsuits that mainly are about the culture that Bloomberg fostered. There's another lawsuit that was filed by a woman around the same time. The person who brought that said that she had been drugged and raped by her supervisor at Bloomberg, not by Bloomberg himself, but by somebody else. But she alleged that employees from, quote, Michael Bloomberg on down engaged in a pattern and practice of sexual harassment and sexual degradation of women and that Bloomberg made comments about employees such as, quote, I'd like to do that piece of meat, unquote. Bloomberg was later asked about this in a deposition. An excerpt of the deposition was published in 2001, and he was asked about that quote. And here's how he responded. He said, quote, I don't recall ever using the term meat at all, unquote. So he didn't deny saying the rest of it. He just denied saying that one word. And do we have any indication of how he handled that rape allegation? Yes. Uh, from the deposition and from the court suit, we know that he was informed about the rape allegation. Um, he was asked in the deposition, you know, how he would try to find satisfactory proof that someone had been raped. And his response was, quote, I guess an unimpeachable third-party witness. And the lawyer in the deposition seemed stunned and said, what kind of rape would have a third-party witness? That's not typical. And he said, well, sometimes there are three people together. But if there are only two people present and they're conflicting accounts, he said, all we can do is provide separate working environments for the two. Stu Losser, the spokesperson for Bloomberg, did not dispute the accuracy of the excerpt, but said Bloomberg, quote, said it during a contentious deposition, and this does not reflect what he believes, unquote. Why is it that we haven't really heard from any of the victims who had made these allegations originally? Well, there was a confidential agreement in the first case, so her words are in her lawsuit. In the second case, that case was dismissed because the person's lawyer did not meet a filing deadline. There's a long trail of court documents over why that lawyer didn't meet the deadline, but that's what happened. But in the end, it didn't go to trial. In fact, none of the cases that I've looked at ended up going to a full trial. They are settled, they're confidentiality agreements, or someone missed a filing deadline, that kind of thing. So uh, there are certain things we don't know. Something that I think is, is interesting and that I point out in the story is that Bloomberg has been deposed several times about these cases. Separately, there's another deposition done by the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, which sued the Bloomberg company when Bloomberg wasn't actually running the company, but they brought in Bloomberg to ask him about basically the culture that he fostered. And I was able to, under a Freedom of Information Act request, obtain that deposition. And he was asked about the Garrison case in that deposition. And he said, it's outrageous and ridiculous that he never said the things that Garrison alleged him to have said. Of course, in the story, I asked uh, the Bloomberg folks, would Bloomberg release people from confidential agreements? Would he release his own depositions about the case? And they said no and no. What has Bloomberg and his campaign said generally about his treatment of women over the years? 
you know, to be clear, first of all, Bloomberg is not accused of misconduct sexually with an individual. He said he's never dated someone at the company and so forth. The campaign says that he is a great promoter of women, that there are a lot of women in high positions at the company. I interviewed uh, a couple of women who are in high positions at the company, and they say he's always treated them wonderfully, given them great opportunities. In the story, I refer to a email that I obtained under a Freedom of Information Act request um, from 2006. It's from one Bloomberg executive to another. And this executive says that he's very concerned about the company losing pregnant women. He says people who've returned from maternity leave cannot juggle, and I'm quoting here, cannot juggle full-time work and the needs of her infant. There are people who believe they need a part-time schedule and so forth. And this person said, I'm very surprised by the lack of flexibility here at Bloomberg. Bloomberg himself was asked in his deposition before the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, about this. And he said, I don't believe part-time work works very well. But he said he had tried to accommodate mothers who sought it. Subsequently, Bloomberg Company did expand its leave policy. And today the company tells me that a, a woman who takes leave can take 26 weeks of leave that's followed by some part-time leave. And they think it's one of the most generous such benefits in the industry. So they have significantly upgraded uh, their policy. If Bloomberg does become a frontrunner candidate during this race, how do you think he will navigate these issues and incidents and allegations, especially considering that this is a time where a lot of people are thinking about how politicians have historically treated women? It seems inevitable, given that he didn't want to release people from confidentiality agreements or release the depositions or give us an interview on the subject, that he will be asked about this again and again. He doesn't done a lot of interviews or press conferences or, as we speak, on a debate stage. He has been asked about this over the years, and it seems like he'll be asked about it again. Michael Cranish is a political investigative reporter for The Post. And now, one more thing about a new and unusual kind of card game. Here we go. What is something missing in your life? Yikes. My name is Travis DeShong. I'm a culture writer playing Uncurated right now, and uh, we're all feeling a little vulnerable. A larger sense of, I mean, I can say a lot of things like purpose or blah, 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 or whatever. Over the past few months, I've received a number of what I would call purposeful questioning card games. Games like We're Not Really Strangers, Big Talk, So Cards, We Connect Cards. And the point of them is to essentially, through questioning and answering, promote introspection and vulnerability in a fun, safe environment. What? <laughs> What do you wish you could forgive, forgive yourself for? I don't know. That's a really hard question. What do I wish I could forgive myself for? There was a Cigna survey that came out in 2018 that I came across, and it essentially assigned loneliness scores based on generational bracket. And the younger the people were, so people in my generation, Gen Z, and the people in the generation right before mine, millennials, scored higher on the loneliness scores than Gen X, boomers, people further along. 
And so I do think these card games that I've received, whether or not the creators intended this for them, definitely are being used to confront the isolation and loneliness that people feel, either from themselves or the worlds around them. The games definitely are all spiritually similar. You get asked questions or you ask people questions. Some of the games have a a rounds or a level system where how probing the questions are can increase. Some are made for like presentations. Some are made for more informal group gatherings. There's no rules, but there are shared agreements. If you want to get as much out of the game as possible, the incentive is for you to answer these questions. And the guidelines exist to essentially create a safer space for that deeper introspection. And that's sort of what allows people, the people who I've spoken to, to really open up about things because they don't feel like there's a pressure on them to come up with a proper answer or even come up with a proper solution, but just carve some time out of their day and look inward. What is one lesson you keep relearning? The thing that comes to mind first is that um, there are words that I think I should know how to spell, and then constantly I'm on Google Docs or Regardless of age or background, people really seemed to buy into the point of the game, even if they were a little wary or leery or jaded going into it. They liked having a product that they thought possessed intent that was still meant to be a game that you can keep on your nightstand or your coffee table. But if you decided to play it, there is value you can derive from it that's not solely material, but is psychological. And they felt that in this modern moment, especially where a lot of young people are kind of boxed into social media cohorts and transitioning in parts of their lives, entering adulthood, trying to figure out where they fit in the professional world. There are more and more pitfalls that lead into isolation and loneliness. And just having a little tool or game like this to address that, confront that head on for oneself is very powerful. When you are experiencing difficult emotions, how can others best support you? I would say, first, leave me alone for like 15 minutes. (laughs) Give me some time to kind of like process it. And then ask me how I am. I'll probably tell you. And then we can, yeah, and then maybe give me a hug. I would like that. That's actually very sweet. That's very sweet. I like that. Travis DeShong reports features for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. If you're on Twitter and want to share some thoughts about a story on our show, feel free to tweet with the hashtag Post Reports, or also you can send me a DM. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.